0: everybody happy friday jason is back just in time to wrap up the super bowl earnings week
1: yes and uh, i am itching to make a j trade i was off the grid for 72 hours had a wonderful <laughs> time whitewater rafting in uh, northern california but i got a j trade in me today let's go
0: what's it gonna be amazon
1: apple we might talk a little bit about facebook could be anything it's not investment advice, I want to be clear, when I make a trade, I'm not encouraging you to make the same trade, No, but you should do your own research, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But we
0: also have another edition of OK Boomer from producer Rachel, because yes, it's Friday.
1: And it's going to be a great show.
0: Stick with us.
2: This Week in Startups is brought to you by iTrust Capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account? And still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? Visit itrust.capital/slash twist to start investing today. Microacquire, the startup acquisition marketplace. Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to try.microacquire.com slash twist and Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever and right now Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist.
1: All right, let's go with the most important news. Amazon crushed it, Molly. What, what, what do we got here? I mean,
0: after a uh, really meh Super Bowl week of tech mm. earnings, we got a touchdown. A very, really? very exciting end zone spike. Amazon reporting strong earnings. The stock was up as much as 12% early on Friday. In fact, I think the numbers are not just strong. In some cases, they are. And this is a direct quote from producer Nick, outright ridiculous.
1: We're, we're in redonkulous territory. Okay, let, let's we go through the numbers here. Really are, yeah. Because it's three businesses, four businesses. I mean, they, they're firing yep. on all cylinders, but let's go through it.
0: And every one of them is killing it. Q2 revenue was up 7.5% year over year to $121 billion. Huge. That's a quarter yep. of one quarter's worth of money. Uh, The Q2 net loss was $2 billion. Last year, they made $7 billion in profit. So they did lose money this quarter, but that's okay. Wait for it. Yeah. AWS revenue was up 33% year over year to $19.7 billion. AWS by itself, Hmm. just one of the three-legged stool that is this insane juggernaut is currently on a $79 billion run rate. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just unstoppable. In fact, Jameen Ball, who is just so great from Altimeter, had a a tweet breaking down the current state of the cloud giants. So just Mm -hmm. the question of like, who is winning the race to the cloud? Amazon, $79 billion run rate growing 33% year over year. The last quarter Mm -hmm. growth was was 37%. Azure, coming up so fast. That's Microsoft's cloud. $55 Mm -hmm. billion run rate. growing 46% year over year. Last quarter grew 49%. -hmm. And then you have Google Cloud, which is in it. And growing. This includes G Suite, though. So $25 billion run rate, growing 36% year over year. Last quarter grew 44%.
1: There's a little bit of gamesmanship going on here in what people are including in the cloud. Yeah. So, but
0: yeah. that G Suite looking, thing is real interesting.
1: I think Microsoft is also including some things in cloud. I was hearing some back channeling about, like, well, is that cloud like you're providing? compute services to people? Or is it like some internal services that you're bundling into the cloud? Putting aside the definitions, this category is Mm redonkulous. And it's only to sustain 30% growth on, you know, 10s of billions of dollars is extremely hard to do. These are large numbers, Molly. Uh, These are, it's just not like a startup that went from, you know, 10 million to 15 million or 10 million to 14 million. You know, this is... (laughs) $50 $50 billion, $30 yeah. billion, dollars, $80 I mean, billion. You went dollars. from big 15 numbers. billion to 19 billion in a quarter? Yeah, it's, not, yeah. It's, it's It's nuts. And it's not stopping because there's tons of people who are still running their own clouds. You, know, you set up a data center, you might hold on to it. It might have a 10-year lifespan. And then at some point, you're going to say, hey, I'll move it over. And then plus consumption of information on the web probably grows at 20, 30, 40% a year, right? Our usage of storage space, I, I just put my camera on raw files uh, for some photos, because my friend mm-hmm. was like, you don't do raw. I'm like, No, what, How do you do raw on your iPhone? He's like, you gotta, they, they don't put it on by default, they kind of hide it. Mm-hmm. But that's because you're going to be doing whatever it is, like, you know, seriously
0: large photos. Yeah, you're gonna fill up your and paltry yeah, iPhone storage immediately.
1: Well, I have the two terabytes that I have, like, uh, over a terabyte open. So I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna start taking some raw ones, and I'm gonna start editing it. And then you look at video you know, we weren't shooting in HD, you used to have to click to shoot the HD button on on your iPhone. Now that's on by default, right? Mm-hmm. And and let
0: alone if I mean, that's just consumer stuff. And then you have like massive compute projects and entire companies and running on these servers right? and and, podcasts and Yeah. $80 uh, billion dollar run rate, which I feel like we should say again, 80 billion. We also Punkers. talked about um, with Dear Bosa, Google Debo. potentially on purpose, if, mm-hmm. sort of is mm-hmm. spending to get customers spending to get growth losing money on purpose on Google cloud to try to catch up. But these numbers show you why this is so competitive. And if Google is, in fact, spending a lot of money to catch up in this in terms of the market share, like, you can see why because once you lock it in, it prints money.
1: Yeah, and Azure, you know, has been on this, I know this from the, um, I know this from the startup space, Amazon in the early days used to sponsor a lot of what we do a lot of my events, then they were like, ah, we don't need to sponsor, and they were playing all kinds of games, they would give Y Combinator a better deal than Techstars, they would give Y Combinator a better deal than my accelerator, our accelerator launch accelerator. They were just like, Amazon was a bit arrogant, the AWS team was like, super arrogant with me. And they were like, Oh, we're yeah. coming to this, we're going to this. And I was like, No, you're not. <laughs> you know, like, they're like, Oh, we're coming to Angel Summit. And I was like, No, you're not coming to Angel Summit it's for angels. So like, Oh, yeah, but we want to go we'll buy two tickets. I'm like, No, it's by invite. Uh, if you want to sponsor something, you can sponsor something. But then Azure and Microsoft, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been like, Hey, Jake, how can we help your startups? We'll give them, you know, 100,000 $150,000 in credits. And then what Amazon was doing, which was, you know, I always found very offensive. And I told it to them, and I'm always very honest. They were favoring Y Combinator companies, they were giving Y Combinator companies a better deal than our companies or tech stars. And I told them, I was like, you know what, it's lame. I don't want to work with you guys. Um, go pound salt. Uh, I'll just work with Microsoft and Google. And I did that. And Microsoft has been incredibly generous to startups, and they don't require them to go to like be anointed by Y Combinator. I'm not and I'm not there's nothing that's Y Combinator companies. But if you're Amazon, just don't be arrogant, like help everybody equally. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft did that and Google Cloud started doing that. And I am seeing more and more founders using Azure, I haven't seen more founders using Google Cloud, if I'm being honest, everybody used Amazon, then because of the credits, I've seen so many people go to Microsoft, and they're like, hey, this is good stuff. And what's happening also, Molly, is there's going to be parity. So all of these services are going to be the same. And then I've started talking to a lot of founders, they're building their software to be portable. So okay, Microsoft gave me some credits, right. great. You, you, then you check your bill. And then there are companies now that will monitor your bill, tell you how to lower it or say, hey, move your storage over here. Well, here's a better deal for you. So this is going to be a, a dogged fight. And I think you'll see people take their whole startup their whole company, and it'll be cloud independent. And I think that's going to yeah. be a big part of this. But these are the three winners right here, Here's your gold, you silver, yeah, oh, here's yeah, your gold, it's, gold, silver, and bronze. This is an unswimmable
0: moat, right? Like, yeah. nobody's going to come in here and pop up cloud services like the CapEx. That it takes to build, you know, I mean, it's sort of like so easy for people to forget that the cloud is a lot of computers taking a lot, up a lot of space. Like this is Thanks. not a fortress that can be climbed by some startup. So absolutely, these are your three winners, no doubt. Uh, about yeah, it.
1: and I do think, you know, I wouldn't count out a Google at making a run. Um, they haven't been super focused on it, but they they could keep investing. They could lose money on it for a while. They could give huge, you know, discounts to, to get people to move over there and test their stuff. But Microsoft is gaining ground to you, you, mm-hmm. you see if you are growing 13% faster than your competitor, which is really a third, you know, more than uh, that 13% is a third more than 33% uh, yeah. or a little bit more. So they're going to catch up. I think it'll be a it's right now going to be a, a two horse race. And I they, I wouldn't count Microsoft out, I could see a flip happening here, I could see Microsoft, you know, reaching AWS level, and then maybe even beating them. It's unlikely, but I do think it's the gap is going to continue to close.
3: That, that's my take. That's
0: unlikely. Yeah. I'm I'm hundred percent with you on this. And I see no reason why Microsoft wouldn't reach a, at minimum parity. At minimum. All right. But that's only one. Yes. We're only through one of Amazon's businesses one of right Amazon's businesses. now that's in the billions of dollars per quarter. Uh Amazon's Q2 advertising revenue, a business most people didn't really even realize that Amazon had. Yeah generated 8.7 billion dollars in q2 up 18 percent year over year uh, like it had generated 16.6 billion dollars of revenue through the first half of 2022 so it's mm. on pace for over 30 billion dollars this year That's so
1: bonkers if you
0: just combine aws and it's mm-hmm. ad business a business almost nobody even realizes that amazon has then this company is on pace for 104 billion of dollars of revenue and that is entirely excluding yeah the whole retail business in amazon prime right
1: and there's a reason for this uh, you know if you look at google's advertising you type in you're looking for you know uh, an ipad case I, ipad keyboard the ads i mean the advertisers don't have to guess there's no psychographics here you're looking for an ipad keyboard uh, <laughs> and you we we know you're in you know palo alto so here's your options in palo alto yep. and you know, the ads, therefore, on Google search are content, what Amazon realized was, uh, if you were to put ads all over the search results, and you just put this is the Amazon consensus pick, you could insert natively, this is what native advertising is, the ads are no different than the content. Mm -hmm. You could just throw in a couple of uh, paid ads, and nobody knows the difference. And what happens organically, Molly is, uh, and it should be obvious to everybody if you're making money, then you can spend money on these click ads, right? So you do a search for the iPad case on Amazon. Well, people go to Amazon first. Now, I don't go to Google and search for an iPad case, I go to Amazon first. If I go to Amazon first, and that's a that's a vertical search engine for shopping. Mm -hmm. um, They have better data. So PageRank is great for content. But PageRank is not great for sorting uh, products. What's great for sorting products? reviews, return data, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that is why Amazon's ads are content, they feel like content if they're good, and it doesn't detract from their actual sales.
0: It's super also I mean, Amazon has such a crappy UI in so many ways, but the advertising insertion is yeah. so seamless. I mean, Seem- it genuinely is and a lot of times, I'll see the sponsored result at the top. And then the the third result, the third organic result will be the same thing, but all you know, all these great reviews and whatever, like, and I'll end up clicking the sponsored result because I'm like, I oh, don't sure. It's the exact yeah. same. It's right here. I can see that it's like a real thing. It's got all the reviews. It's not just like somebody bought this placement and it's a scam. Like the mm. and it's so smoothly inserted from a user experience perspective that you're yes. just like, yeah, sure, fine. I'm not. And now here's a dark side.
1: There's also a dark side. They also, of course, there is are. It's advertising. Well, no, but it's really, it's really sinister. Amazon had a uh, Google had a massive controversy. You would do a search for, I don't know, Zendesk, right, Uh, or HubSpot. Well, then HubSpot and Zendesk's competitors would buy the three ads above the first organic result. Mm -hmm. And people fought this and said, Hey, this is unfair. Google said, Okay, sue us if you don't like it, but we're doing it. So they would sell your keyword for your company to your competitors. What does that mean you have to do? Well, you have to buy your own keyword. So if you're Zendesk, or if you're HubSpot, or if you're Salesforce, or whoever you are, Volvo, Volvo has to pay to put Volvo up top so that people who are buying whatever a Mercedes, yep. you know, a similar model, don't take the top slot above them. So you're basically paying for every organic click and the users on Amazon and the users on Google don't know the difference I would say in 60 or 70% of the time, this is something the FTC should investigate, they don't actually know they're clicking on an ad. It is absolutely an FTC investigation waiting to happen. But these companies, you know, have figured out a way to dodge this one. But my Lord, how many times have you looked at a search result on Amazon, and you see like, oh, this iPad case is ranked in the top five, Wait, but then there's another version of it just three clicks away, you know, Mm. in the ranking, that's the ad version. So you see it twice. Yeah, exactly. And so it's 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 pretty sinister, um, but it's super effective, right? Yeah. And, and now same with you, Google,
0: where if you're at this point, especially if you're a content creator, it's you, you know you have to pay to have your own stuff seen on Google. Yeah, it's uh, it, look. Now, nobody advertising is mm-hmm. among the more pernicious business models that we humans have created, right? There's nothing yes. like attention. Of course, there's nothing altruistic about advertising ever and there never will be so keep that in mind however it is a very very effective way to make money and amazon figured that out like very really quietly i remember several years ago you know talking to my producers at marketplace being like we should do stories about this amazon ad business and then as of last year amazon hit 10 percent of u.s digital ad market share it's probably closer to 15 now
1: Yeah, it's gonna keep going. And they were shipping all that money to Google. So this has been a 10 year plan by Amazon to Mm -hmm. not have to ship their ship their money to Google and get people to go over there. You know, who else is doing this at the same exact time? Apple? Yeah, Apple, when you search on your phone, is starting to show you a collection of data, they'll search your local, uh, you know, uh, device, and they'll look for things in apps on your uh, iCloud account, your photos, and their own app store before Mm -hmm. they send you to the web. So Apple is trying to intercept searches as well, and that will be highly effective, right? Mm -hmm. So the things that will not be affected in advertising, just to put a pin in it, is what you're going to see is the people who don't have this very um, clickable targeted advertising, where the search, search advertising, basically, where the search matches the destination and the keywords, which includes Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Pinterest, and... Uh, Snap. Mm-hmm. Those are less essential. You have no choice but to pay Google and Amazon, and I predict you'll have no choice but to play pay Google Play Store and Amazon Play Store if you want to participate in those. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of take off during a recession. Pinterest, Facebook, oh, TikTok, yeah. and Snap, and that's what you're going to see is the bifurcation of the ad market during a downturn, which means there might be an opportunity to actually buy those names that are going to flatline over the next year, uh, we're already seeing what's Snap, you know, right. By okay. so the stock,
0: you mean, or by the, the companies?
1: Well, the companies could get bought, uh, certainly. Uh, but I do think the stocks will really get pummeled. And you know, it's gonna be a I would say it's gonna be a one year, uh, you know, advertising downturn. And we're yeah. in the, f- the first quarter of it, like people are just pulling back their ad spend because they plan the ad spend for the year, or six months, typically. So, you know, q2 q3 q1, two and three were kind of baked in q3 start to see softness q4, maybe people have to buy for the holidays, but they'll move to only what's essential. Mm -hmm. So I do think you're going to see the slowdown in q1 and q2 of next year. And that's when you'll see snap will lose 20% of its value. Facebook will have a rough first half of the year, they might do okay with a dead count bounce in the fourth quarter. But you're gonna see the first half of 2023 in all likelihood, be a really challenging half a year, two mm-hmm. quarters for the... Which we
0: business. did see from meta-earnings No, already reflected. I mean, the fact that Headwinds. the fact that Facebook ad buys are now totally optional, it shouldn't be, you know, like I want to highlight that bit of that. That's a big deal. And that it does not bode well for that company combined with the Apple privacy changes. It's like Apple made these privacy changes. That Apple seems to be Thanks executing sir. a perfectly played hit. on Facebook at this point, like it's just an assassination. They're like, the privacy thing cost them $10 billion. And they're going to come in and scoop up some of that ad share. And it's just a it's just a cut in the throat. Somebody watched the gray man this week. Exactly. It was me.
1: A bunch of asset classes have been hit hard so far in 2022. But of course, that can be where the opportunity is. And if you are a long term believer in crypto, you need to take a look at iTrust capital, iTrust lets you invest in crypto through your retirement account. It's basically a crypto IRA. This means you'll get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies for you to invest in. And unlike the stock market, you can trade 24 hours a day if that's what you're into. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it only takes a few minutes to create your account. And setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low with a 1% per transaction crypto fee so visit itrust.capital/twist to start investing today that's itrust.capital/twist now some important disclosures tax and conditions may apply fees may apply cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with the risk of loss iTrust Capital Inc does not provide legal investment or tax advice and you need to consult with qualified legal investment or tax professionals so you you, you got The AWS business on fire, the advertising business on fire, but the businesses that we all use are retail and Amazon Prime. So how are those doing?
0: Yeah. Third leg of the stool, also an $8.7 billion quarter. Mm. That's Q2 subscription revenue, which includes Amazon Prime. Wow. And all of that stuff that you accidentally buy through there and can't figure out how to cancel, like Showtime and Motor Trends, I went through the other day. I finally figured out where to find all my digital subscriptions. I was like, for God's sake, this is like 100 bucks a month. However, all of us paying for that plus Prime mm-hmm. generated almost $9 billion in a single quarter. And that was up 10% year over year. Prime has right. over 200 million subscribers, costs 15 bucks a month or $140 a year. And they just keep adding stuff to it, potentially including eventually one medical. Has Amazon built the super app, basically?
1: I mean, let's think about that. You can get music, you can get you can buy whatever you want. You can do commerce, you get music, you get their video. Yeah. I mean, if if they bought Lyft or Uber, you know, there was a lot of speculation in the early days for Uber investors, the team did not want to sell, they wanted to go public, but there was a lot of back channel amongst the investors in Uber, that Amazon, uh, and Apple were the two likely candidates to buy it. Apple because, you know, uh, the iPhone, you know, wanting to have it was the most valuable app on the iPhone for a very long period of time, Amazon, for obviously reasons like last minute. And so I still think that that's a possibility, I could see Amazon wanting to buy Uber now, would they be allowed to? You know, under Lena Khan, probably not hard to say. I do think that
0: um, groceries. I would be curious to know how much of a win that's been for Amazon, because I have tried like either the Whole Foods or the Amazon Fresh thing, and neither of those have ever stuck for me. And I'm a pretty dedicated grocery delivery person, and I would love to have that all in the same app. Why? Is it it the interface? the interface is terrible. Interface then they is terrible. then they changed it, right? Amazon yep. does this really brutal thing internally, where it's like they try two things. And if it doesn't work, they just nuke it. So it's like the grocery thing went to Amazon fresh, they changed the interface, the app changed, you know, it was just this sort of like, it was like weirdly hard to find. Then during the pandemic, Amazon fresh deliveries were way slower than yep. Instacart and DoorDash. Now mm-hmm. DoorDash has groceries. I actually weirdly feel like that's the one. This is purely anecdotal. And so I would be curious to know what other people think. But for me, that's the weak part of their stable.
1: Yeah, you know, here's the thing, when you have a business that is printing large amounts of money, and then you have smaller businesses. And when I say small, you know, it's not 100 billion a year or (laughs) (laughs) 100, you know, 80 billion a quarter, it's very hard to get up for a 5 billion a quarter business. Yeah, Uh, management can only focus on so many things, the short term Mm -hmm. memory is seven plus or minus two, right? You can remember seven numbers. That's why phone numbers are seven, a yep. management team can only remember seven plus or minus two. And in those seven are, you know, probably three of them are internal things like hiring people and finance, you know, and, and managing the stock. So you can arguably manage four or five business lines before your management team, your board breaks. Yep, it's too many pokers in the fire. It's just too much to handle. And then you just don't do a good job at it. And so that's, that's what's happening here. The only way to really make that work is when you have highly um, distributed systems. So, you know, they'll get to it eventually. But I'm very happy with uh, my J trade on Amazon, Uh, I bought $50,000 worth of Amazon as an official J trade, I think it was my second Uh, at $124 a share. And it's uh, it's up 100. Eh, I bought 400 shares. And you know what, I feel like when you got a winner, you got to keep buying the winners, right? So I am going to live on the air right now. Oh my goodness. Open up my app. Hell yeah. I'm opening up my app right now. (laughs) I'm just taking a look at my Amazon. I feel like I clicked the trade. More Stitch Fix. He's like, let's go. No, I have 400. And let's see if I bought, if I had 1000 shares, if I buy 600 more shares, I was like 80 grand worth of shares. Let me review this trade. If I had 600 shares, now I'm at an even thou. I swipe up to submit order is received on my uh, thing and the order is complete. So oh I'm just God. adding another 80 dimes to my position here and J trade is completed. We got we had a completed J trade investment <laughs> advice. Here's my thesis. I think Amazon is going to get broken up in the next five years. Yeah. And it, I think that's gonna double and every the one price of, of everything. Yeah, exactly. When they separate these businesses and mm-hmm. AWS is its own standalone business. And then everything else is in the other company. You know what's gonna happen? The other company, the retail company is going to raise prices 10%. We're all going to be addicted to it. And they're gonna yep. be wildly profitable because they have to be they won't have the ability to ride the AWS wave anymore. Honestly, I can't wait till it gets broken up.
0: This is not investment advice. It's but not, let's see not investment get advice, dude, in this next
1: story too. <laughs> I'm making my own trades. It's not investment advice. Micro Acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace. I've always wondered why this idea did not exist, and now it exists. It cuts out everyone in the middle. That means they help startups get acquired directly and efficiently. If you're a founder and you're looking to sell and there's nothing wrong with selling, sometimes you gotta secure the bag. Well, Micro Acquire is free for you. It's free, it's private, and there's nobody in the middle. To date, Micro Acquire has helped hundreds of startups. Yes, they've helped hundreds of startups get acquired. I kid you not. And they facilitated hundreds of millions of dollars in deal volume. Their platform has over 120,000 buyers who spend $390 a year for access. That's a big number for a subscription, but not if you're an acquirer spending millions to tens of millions to hundreds of millions to billions of dollars buying technology companies. Thousands of startups are currently listed for sale. So if you are a buyer, you're probably missing some great opportunities there. I encourage you to go become a subscriber like I am. Micro Acquire helps startups find buyers. It's as simple as that. Buyers can browse listings for free. And the platform is totally free for sellers. Sign up for premium for $390 a year to get access to all the deal info at try.microacquire.com slash twist. Once again, try.microacquire.com slash twist. Great job to the Microacquire team. All right. Speaking
0: of to the moon, Apple, let's talk about the other big elephant. Let's finish Mm. off, finish, bring this uh, tech earnings plane to a landing. Apple also reported earnings. I, I mean, I don't know the last time this was like a... This was like a super moon blood moon situation this week where they all reported in the single same week, two days. Yeah, three um, days. Apple reported earnings for fiscal Q three, beat expectations for sales and profits, but growth slowed a little bit. Huh. Um, the stock was up slightly today, up about three percent. It's down eleven percent year to date, but is doing way better than Google, Meta, and Netflix.
1: Yeah, Meta's down fifty right, percent,
0: right? Yeah, cute. Yeah, which honestly, just keep it going. Fine yep. by me. Um, Q3 revenue was $83 billion. I mean, again, you read these numbers sometimes and you're just like... bonkers. That's a quarter. Mm -hmm. That was, however, up only 2% year over year. And the revenue growth was... I mean, this is actually like almost a hard break at this point. Revenue in Q3 compared to 2021's Q3. 2021, they grew revenue 36%. And then in Q3
1: the year before, which Over was the, the pandemic year. year. So right. you have that like, you know, reopening kind of trade, right? Reopening, right. I'm going to buy my new iPhone and get on the road, get some AirPods, get on the road, got it.
0: And then during the re-reopening,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they only grew Deh. 2%. Reopening part Everybody Deh. already had
1: their phone. And
0: also you're kind of not as... The thing you need when you're stuck at home is gadgets. Honestly, yeah, like, sure. I, again, anecdotally, this is exactly what we did. Like, my kid and I got new iPhones. We all got new laptops because we were all of a sudden yeah. at home. Then we wow. bought the Oculus. Like, I was buying consumer electronics like a fiend. Yep. And now I'm like, forget that. Let's get airplane tickets.
1: Mm-hmm. So you that can makes sense. See. And if yeah. you, if, if we are in a recession and you're feeling the pinch, let's say you're feeling the pinch or you're feeling pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Are you going to drop? I think I spent $1,400 with tax on my last iPhone because I always buy the one with the max memory and everything. Because it's my job, right? And so I don't don't try to save money on it. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. this is a place where I'm not going to be efficient because I spend so much time on it. So even if you're only spending 1000 on your phone, it's 1000 bucks. It's a lot of cheddar. I mean, these things are not everybody's like living in this fantasy land where like a smartphone is still five or 600 bucks. There's no subsidies. You're paying a thousand. Mm-hmm. It's and you, maybe if you trade yours in, you get two or 300 off, you and know, but I think people awesome. are gonna skip like, a there's year. There's No reason to get a new. They're awesome. Yes. That's the other issue is that these things are awesome. Why would you upgrade if you don't have to if you're on a business account? Or you're flush? I understand. It's a luxury. It's a well worth paying for. Uh, the thing I would look at here
0: is services. I was just gonna I've say been that saying services I'm scrolling to that right now.
1: Mm-hmm. They're at 19.6 billion in services. They have, I think 800 million people paying for subscriptions with them. Now, Mm -hmm. I talked about who's going to be the first to get to a trillion, I'm sorry, a billion subscribers. Uh, And I said Disney Plus uh, in the video space, I believe Disney Plus will get be the first between Hulu, ESPN. uh, And Disney Plus, I think they get and whatever else they add to it, I think they'll get to a billion paid subscribers globally. Well, here we go. This includes Apple care, which is a I wish they would take that number out. But this also includes yeah. news music, Apple plus TV plus
4: mm-hmm, TV
0: fitness thing, TV
1: plus the fitness nonsense, which, nobody which by the way, about.
0: is so terrible. It's garbage. Yeah, that's side I mean, note, I can't but you should be embarrassed about how terrible that product is. However, let's keep going.
1: Let's keep going. So anyway, I they I want to
0: compare this to like, let's go back to okay, those yeah. Amazon numbers. Remember how mm-hmm. we were like, Amazon is bananas, right? It's bananas. Yep. Apple's got $19 billion in services revenue, including all of its subscriptions in a single quarter, compared to Amazon's $8.7 billion. Mm-hmm. Like, Amazon, with the prime juggernaut, is pulling in almost $9 billion a quarter, and mm-hmm. Apple's doubled that.
1: Yes. I mean, people who buy iPhones buy Apple AppleCare. Mm-hmm. I don't. Because I just factor it. I don't lose my phone. I don't drop my phone. I'm that guy. I got a lanyard. I got a case. I don't lose or break my stuff. There's another person who I cohabitat with, who breaks her phone all the time. And my three daughters don't have phones. So that narrows down who else in the family is breaking their phone all the time. And she has to have Apple Care because breaking her phone is like one of her, you know, key skills in this life. And so Mm -hmm. she gets Apple Care. I mean, this, this, if Apple ever loses money, it's going to be because of the number of times my wife breaks her phone. So I think there's a lot of people who do buy it. So I would love to take out the 825. Is it half <coughs> Apple Care? The other thing I
0: wonder too is whether if if services includes apps and mm-hmm. just includes that 30% vig.
1: That includes their vig for taking 30% from the people, but it does not include the 825. Is not people subscribing to Netflix or whatever else subscriptions people are making through the App Store. Although I don't think Netflix does their subscriptions to the app stores anymore. Anyway, we'll we'll double click on those and get back to you on that. Uh, it, but great job, it, Apple. Yeah, I mean great down.
0: job. Let's not gloss over the fact that it includes that 30% cut of every transaction you make, because that's the that just to be clear, is the antitrust complaint. That's the one they're coming for. So that's like, that is a business that could be in some danger yes, from sir. antitrust regulations. And it's the, you know, it's growing.
1: Yeah. I and mean, it's the I,
0: majority of that service. I did see running, Lena Khan
1: did her first action and it was against Meta. Reputation matters. So, yes, Meta was going to buy some uh, VR app for um, some uh, exercise app and they're blocking it. So, mm-hmm. I did see that mm-hmm. was Lena Khan's first action. I think kind of silly because it's such a small acquisition, but I think it's indicative of. Well, food they to were all after. small
0: acquisitions before they, right? It's catch and kill. It's like yeah, get them early when it's
1: small, and then yeah. I mean, but it's not like it's it. going to change the the fate of the industry kind of thing, you know? Like you could argue buying Whole Foods or buying one medical feels like whoa, you know, this could change the balance of power in groceries at some point. Buying one app from your app store is that really going to change things? I don't know, but this does show you the difference, Molly, between Apple and Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. would have if he owned the App Store would go down the top 50 and he would buy them Mm -hmm. or replace them. He's never been able to run an App Store. This is why Zuckerberg will fail uh, with meta VR is going to be the biggest failure. uh, And trying to take on Apple will be the biggest failure. I think Zuckerberg's ever been handed in his career. I think he's going to blow $30 billion and cripple Facebook. Yeah. With Which a stupid bet. He really can't beat
0: print money can't
1: beat Apple It's the stupidest bet. I mean, would they lose almost $3 billion trying to compete against Apple with this? I think so. Fakaka. Yeah.
0: And investors are just have just are losing They've given up. In that by the second, right? They're just like, really? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, wh- why not focus on if it's, it's one of the most all in bets I've ever seen in tech? Mm hmm. And as I said, on my Twitter, I was just having a moment of clarity. I was like, you know, all the people I know who are into VR are just huge dorks. And I didn't say this. This this wasn't like content farming or some bullshit. I was (laughs) just like, I stop pitching me on VR nonsense. Like I understand Mm -hmm. for education. And I think AR is going to be big. And it's like another five years from now. But all of this, like I, I just have zero interest in doing anything in the metaverse. And nobody I know does and the people who keep won't shut up about it are like seven dorks or really socially awkward weirdos. Sorry. <laughs> and then I then these people are like, Oh, I love it. I'm like, mm. how, how many hours did you do this year? And they're like, six. I'm like, six hours when? Is, oh, in 2022. I'm like, Okay, well, it sounds like a great business to be in. I don't think it's gonna work. I honestly don't think VR is gonna work. I think it's DOA already. Hmm. I don't think people want it. Sorry. Yeah,
0: I, I think most People don't want to live their lives in VR. However, I would be curious to know what kids say and kids think.
1: Man, like that's the part I'm out. curious about. No, I don't buy either. I think kids want to go out. They want to have they experiences. Do, they,
0: well, you should you see them when they get together, like especially like after the pandemic, right? You, you'd see kids get together yes. and it's just like their little bodies are like.
1: Bah, bah, let's go do stuff to each other. I mean, speaking yeah. of kids, let's bring on producer Rachel. She-
0: let's do it. Yeah, producer Rachel necessarily, but if we
1: talk about it on the road to OK, I mean you're half my age. How old are you, Rachel? Like HR? How old are you, Rachel?
4: I'm 24.
1: Okay, I'm double your age, young lady. (laughs) I was talking to your dad and your mom (laughs) this week. They were checking in. They were like, "How's my daughter doing?" What do you think about uh, about VR?
4: uh, My family does have a headset, and it was really cool when we first got it. But it died pretty quickly. So we, we were like power users right after getting it for Christmas. And I have a ton of siblings, my two brothers. One's two years younger. One's four years younger than a little sister six years younger. So we're hitting everybody, right? The only one console that has just like withhold, like withheld the test of time has been the Wii and specifically Wii Sports. That's like the only thing, honestly. Um, besides like my brother's obviously playing like Halo on an Xbox, like a traditional console game. And like we have Nintendo Switch. Um, but the only thing that has really kept like everybody as a group, um, yeah, we sports. Okay, so
1: you did the uh buy, try, goodbye. Yep. Exactly what I've said. Yep. Buy, try. Oh, no, it's the buy, oh my, goodbye. Well, you buy it, you're like, oh my, this is yeah. incredible, and then it's goodbye. This thing is sitting in the garage.
4: The one or it's case, under the TV. It That's it does true. really well when you first okay. bring it to college, I think. I think it does I think it's phenomenal. Like my brother has it in college at his dorm. And I think it does well if you're in a college dorm. But at that point, are you just doing it? Because like you, you don't have anything else to do. You know yeah, what I, I mean? Don't like, I don't want to. Like, the like, second you make a friend. Bring up the mom didn't let him bring up the Xbox because it was my, my other brother wanted to have it at home. So is that that's just what he was stuck with?
1: Yeah. Molly, my friend has a theory. I was speaking to my friend the other day. hmm. These te- this tech, if it doesn't get you chicks. This is what my friend said. It's a little misogynistic. I would never say this. He's like this stuff. If it just doesn't like, dates. just say dates. Save you, yourself here. If it doesn't get you dates with chicks and chicks don't dig it, it's going right <laughs> in the garbage. And I've uh,
4: well, uh, you Jesus, have two two ladies on the program. Do you? If a guy's
1: like, hey, you want to come play VR with me?
4: You already bashed the number one game for girls already on Twitter. Yeah, Stray. that's
1: true. Straight that.
4: is the best Steam game. I was out looking for like a Raspberry Pi like earlier to today, because I was like, I want, I want straight. Straight for okay. those of you who don't know, is like a so. It's the number
1: sim- one game for cat women.
4: Simulator. and
1: Friedberg got it. Okay,
4: <laughs> I love it. I think that is. I thought it was brilliant. No, I, I do
1: think it's cool. Right.
4: Mm-hmm. Now I'm walking back on it. <laughs> all right, all right. Jason I gotta get going. I gotta got got meet. So right, what we? Right. What do you so, got
1: for OK Boomer? Tell us what you got for OK Boomer. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Yeah. So
4: I was joined today by my friend Nate O'Brien of Roadrunner VC. It's a rolling fund that he started. Mm. And Nate is a very popular YouTuber. He has 1.2 million subscribers, absolutely kills it in the finance productivity space. And I got to talk to him about his experience starting off at Penn State University where I went, but he then switched over to become a full-time content creator and now has a rolling fund. Um, They invest in pre-seed and seed stage startups. So that was really interesting uh, to see his path and hear how it's been. Learning to raise a fund as a 24-year-old. Amazing.
0: Wow. 1.2 million subscribers on YouTube where he talks about finance, investing, entrepreneurship, minimalism, (coughs) and productivity.
4: Yeah. yeah, He he lives remote in the woods sometimes like with with no phones and stuff. He does a full Jason... Love it,
1: he pulled to Jason, 72 hours (laughs) on the road. All right, great job, Rachel. And uh, I will see you, can we play a multiplayer cat game?
4: Oh, we'll we'll see if we can do Stray, we can just like walk around, walk around. Yeah, let's let's play, I I, I wanna play
1: Stray live on the show. Next week, set me up with Stray, I'll play it live on the show. Raspberry
4: (laughs) pies for all.
1: Before we get into the ad everybody, it makes our team so happy to see our partners celebrate big wins. And I'm thrilled to hear about the huge funding round our partner Odoo just had really great stuff from Julian and the team over there, especially in this crazy venture market. So congratulations. And uh, speaking of the market, right now being capital efficient is more important than ever. And one easy way to cut costs is to run all your SaaS apps on one platform. So please check out Odoo's suite of business apps. Using Odoo means you won't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions. Everything you need is already on Odoo. All you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. And they'll only charge you for the apps you use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. We're talking about sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. And this will streamline your business. No more issues transferring data back and forth. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. And the best part? Well, here's your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. So go to odoo.com slash twist for $1,000 off. That is once again, odoo.com slash twist.
3: Okay, Boomer.
4: I understood the assignment. Thank you, Nate, for coming on today's segment of Okay, Boomer. Nate O'Brien is a YouTuber. He has 1.2 million subscribers on YouTube where he talks about finance, investing, entrepreneurship, minimalism, productivity, you name it. Um, I met Nate quite a few years ago now, actually on my own podcast, which kind of... So I guess, thank you, Nate. You probably helped me get this job because your episodes did very well on, um, on my podcast because most people that listened went to Penn State. And although we didn't know it, Nate and I went to Penn State at the same time. But Nate dropped out because he absolutely freaking killed it on YouTube. And now has funded this awesome thing called Roadrunner VC, which I want to dive in and learn more about. But first, Nate, again, thank you. Can you give everybody the story of going to Penn State, YouTube, and then ending here with Roadrunner?
3: Yeah, sure. So I think Penn State is one of the biggest alumni networks in the world. And so that's whenever someone goes to Penn State, it's sort of like an instant uh, thing in common. And that's kind of, I think, how we sort of connected there. Um, Yeah, so I went to Penn State 2016. Uh, I went to college with the intention of dropping out, but I kind of used college as like an insurance policy of like, okay, look, I'm not making enough money. I need to make sure that I can figure something out. So I started launching YouTube channels in 2016. um, And then every year launched a few more. So now we have 10 and a handful of
4: blogs as well. Wow. That is super duper awesome. How did you know that it was the right time to drop out of school?
3: Um, So I set a goal. I think it was like 10 or 15,000 a month that I wanted to be making just so I could, you know, really justify it. Um, Because I I didn't want to be the person where I dropped out with no plans and nothing going for me because I knew that businesses usually take at least 12 to 18 months to really start to ramp up. Um, So I just wanted to make sure I I had that nice uh, safety barrier there.
4: Yeah. And you said you went to college with the intention of dropping out. Why did you choose to go to Penn State rather than a community college? Um, For people listening, Penn State is a super expensive college. It is, I believe, one of the most expensive state schools in America, like maybe number two other than Wisconsin. So that seems like a pretty big deal um, to attend, like college in general is expensive in the States. Penn State is super expensive, even if you're in state, like why, why did the decision to go there?
3: Yeah. um, I I really didn't want to live with my parents. I love my parents, (laughs) but I was, you know, I was 17. I was like, Hey, I need to get out of the house. Um, And so Penn State is, is just kind of the go-to school for anyone in Pennsylvania. Um, It was between that and Pitt. I just flipped a coin and it landed on whatever it was, heads or tails. And so I said, okay, I guess I'm going to Penn State.
4: Oh my gosh. You almost went to Pitt.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
4: no. Oh, man. It was a 50-50 chance. Yeah, I was between Syracuse and Penn State because I was like, I just want to go to like the most like American-y kind of college there is. I was like, I want like big sports, like either big basketball or big football. Visited Syracuse and there was like five feet of snow and I'm like five feet tall. So I was like, nah, it's Penn State. Penn State for me because I visited Penn State in the summer and like little did I know, Pennsylvania also gets a ton of snow. So very interesting that you just, you Penn State it seems like was a very like, not a huge decision for you. And do you think like your time in college at all helped you start a YouTube career? Was something um, or were you doing YouTube already before attending school?
3: So I, I was doing YouTube, but it wasn't too seriously. I was um, essentially just uh, for AP exams that I would take in high school. I would I would make YouTube channels for them. And that's how I would study is I, I would create videos. And that was my my form of studying instead of, um, you know, like doing other things like taking practice quizzes. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I've been on YouTube for a long time and I've had a lot of failed channels, like farming channels and stuff in the past. Um, it's just one of those things that like you, you probably start five or six channels before you take one seriously.
4: Yeah. And so I know this because I, I know you outside of the wonderful world of the internet, but you actually did some other stuff before in business. I would like to call it before even YouTube, um, having to do that ag space. So what are some of the businesses you had, I guess, starting off like as a kid?
3: I think my first business was um, I would steal my sister's toys and then sell them back to her, which was like my first <laughs> main profitable one. It was really good margins. Um, after that, though, probably um, I started a, a chicken farm, essentially. So I had uh, over a 100 chickens and I, I was selling eggs to like all my teachers in school and uh, all the neighbors. Um, turns out a lot of agricultural businesses are really, really tough, though, and not only labor intensive, but um, the margins are really tough. And so like I was selling eggs for two dollars a dozen, but my cost was probably a dollar 90 per dozen. Um, and had a firewood business with my brother, as soon as he turned uh, 16, got his permit and then, uh, got a truck. And so we started the firewood business, lawn care business, uh, just very cash, cash heavy, cash oriented businesses, straightforward. You know, you go mow 20 lawns at 50 bucks a piece and you know, it's thousand dollars a week or uh, something along those lines. So that's sort of how I paid for college early on as well.
4: Wow. That's super duper awesome. So you've always been entrepreneurial. That's always been in your blood. Um, why did you decide to start a YouTube channel? And then evidently also what really was the reason it took off?
3: Um yeah, so I, I started with my personal brand, which was um uh finance videos specifically. And that was really just because I was trying to learn about investing and in finance content in 2016 and there was nothing on YouTube. Um and, and people don't really remember this now because it's like if you go on YouTube, there's so many, there's so much content, right? But it literally did not exist. Like you could type in how to save money or how to invest on YouTube and videos of, you know, elephants would pop up or something. It would just be totally irrelevant stuff. Um, So there's a really big gap in the market. Um, There were a couple of people starting to make finance videos and Mm. um, they were getting a decent amount of views and they were making, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month. And I said, okay, this is a good opportunity for a 17, 18 year old kid to to get started. But I wasn't expecting it to grow so much. Um, You know, the niche really, really grew every year uh, over the past five, six years.
4: Yeah, that's, that, I, that's how I, I mean, like first came across, I've always been really interested in personal finance. Um, my dad is super interested in personal finance, but when I got to college, I obviously wasn't like living with my parents anymore. So there are some other questions I had and I liked seeing a YouTube channel. Um, Graham is like another personal person in personal finance that was pretty big in the YouTube space. Um, and now I see like you're on his channel and stuff like that, which is so cool, but Graham is really the only other person that was on but you were closer in age. So I was like, ah, yeah, like this makes sense, like checking out Nate's content. And there are some of your early videos and it looks like they're they're recorded like on Penn, like now that I know you went to Penn State, I'd look and I would be like, wait, is that like a Penn State classroom? Like, were you recording out here in classrooms?
3: Yeah, I, I kind of had a double life. Um, so I didn't tell anybody that I had a YouTube channel um, until they just found it. So my roommates didn't know it until I had like 15,000 subscribers. Oh like, a, like a full year later. So I, I'd say, hey, everyone, uh, I'm, I'm going to study. And then- Uh, I would disappear for six hours. I would go film a bunch of videos in, uh, I think it was the science lab. I forget what it was called, but it was was that uh, science building at uh, Penn State. And I'd be filming at like 2 a.m. on a Friday and just cranking out videos.
4: That's awesome. And when did you actually start making money from it? Did you start this YouTube channel like with the intent of making money? And then at what point does the money like actually start rolling in?
3: Yeah, um, I I did start it with the intent of making money because I had to pay for college. And as you know, Penn State was pretty expensive. I think it was 20,000 a year for tuition. So- um, but back when I started, you can actually monetize YouTube from day one. So, uh, the first day, I think I made seven cents, uh, from, from ads. Cause you could monetize literally like with zero subscribers. So I would go to the computer labs and I would just turn on all the computers and then just watch all my videos like in loops, uh, on, on playlists. And so I, you know, probably made, I don't know, 50 or a hundred bucks in the first month, uh, after the first year, maybe it was making a couple thousand a month, but, uh, it was, it was definitely a slow start.
4: Yeah. And what advice do you have for people? I know that. Um, Jason always says there's this statistic of how many people like continue on with podcasting after the first few episodes and that number is incredibly low. Uh how were you able to like obviously I can't be super motivating being like, wow, like I just made seven cents today, it's time to do it tomorrow. How do you really keep up on the motivation to stay consistent?
3: So it it actually was really motivating for me, even making, you know, a couple dollars because Um, my videos were getting 40 or 50 views and some of them were real people. It wasn't just me watching. Um, and to me, I kind of viewed it like, Hey, this is 50 people. This is a full classroom of people, right? Who are listening to an 18 year old kid talk about money. Um, and I was, (laughs) I was definitely worried about credibility. I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it, it took a long time to get started, but, um, I, I kind of just viewed it like, look, if I'm getting 50 views or 100 views, that's that's actually a lot of people. In today's world, we kind of forget that because we're we're so used to you know expecting millions of views. But if you visualize the amount of people, like if you get 40,000 views on a video, that is in an, a full stadium of people. That's massive. So it, it's all just about perspective on that.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's obviously incredibly motivating too to even just think like I, I feel like I would get butterflies knowing that one person like listened to the segment. Like it's at it's at the end and it's on Friday, so. Whenever I get like one person that, um, like DMs me on Twitter, I like freak out. And this is, this is something that's like, obviously I'm I'm not getting paid like separately to be on Jason's podcast or anything, but it really, I'm definitely also motivated knowing that like somebody is at least watching something that I'm putting time into. I think that is a big, a big motivator for me. So if anybody, if anybody's listening right now, let me know because I really like to know I'm not speaking out into the void and to pivot a little bit here. Um, we also spoke a few years into getting to know each other about VC, about startups and investing. When I first had you on my podcast, I think I was doing a venture capital fellowship, or I was just about to start a VC fellowship. And since then, um, I've grown to absolutely love the space. And we were able to talk about it, which has been amazing. So I was super excited to see your rolling fund that is also led by uh, fellow YouTuber, Sebastian Fung. Um, you guys invest in, you know, pre-seed, seed startups, which... I love. Can you talk a little bit about Roadrunner VC and why you decided to start that?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, kind of going back over the five, six years, um, you know, I started promoting Robinhood uh, in its very, very early days in you know, 2016, 2017. Um, and over the years, I've driven tens of thousands of users, like just better track users that I've driven. And I've, I've gotten some cash for it. But um, over the years, I've realized, hey, you know, it would be really incredible to have some equity in the companies that I'm talking about so much. Um, and, and Sebi was sort of an early thinker on this as well. And so he, he started to put together syndicates with creators with the whole idea of, you know, bringing creators onto the cap table for, especially these early stage companies, pre-seed and seed, maybe some series A, um, can really, you know, you can put your hand on the scale and really make a difference on, uh, with the customer acquisition side, marketing side, helping founders understand, uh, ad rates and connections with influencers. We felt like it was a really solid value prop there. Um, and so, so we started running some syndicates. We don't like Yada Savings and Oxygen Bank uh, and a handful of others. Um, but eventually, you know, we realized that the syndicates, as I'm sure you know, are it's kind of a it's a lot right to, to round everybody up together, put everybody on meetings, especially influencers who always tend to be doing stuff and busy and traveling. Um, so we came to the conclusion that it's probably better to just launch a formal fund. Uh, we went with the rolling fund structure so that we could uh, bring on uh, the majority of our LPs uh, as as creators themselves, um, and so yeah, that's that's the whole thesis there of just uh, really investing into mostly consumer facing uh, tech. Uh, we, we didn't really want to pigeonhole ourselves into becoming a creator fund that only invests into creator economy because personally, as a creator, I see a lot of uh, creator economy startups that I think are not not so great um, <laughs> or or not very practical. Um, so yeah, really anything consumer facing.
4: Yeah, that's awesome. So I saw. I also was watching before we uh, jumped on the Zoom your YouTube video that kind of announced it all, and you guys were talking about beacons. Um, is that is that something that you invested in through this rolling fund?
3: Um, so we did not invest into beacons through the rolling fund. Those were just personal investments that uh, Sebi and I made into beacons on on the previous round. Um, so the rolling fund we launched in May. Uh, we made two investments because it was towards the end of the quarter. Uh, typically we're making anywhere between two and five investments per quarter. Got yeah, you, but, why uh, two, why between,
4: beacons. yeah, right? I was about to ask uh, if you did because Paige Findorty, super awesome investor, friend of the pod, was actually on a segment with Jason talking about being a first-time investor, but she's our age, um, also invested in Beacons, and I actually found out about Beacons through... Jules Terpek, who is an amazing podcast, excuse me. Well, yeah, she is an amazing podcaster, but found her off TikTok. Great commentary over on that end. So Beacons seems like they're freaking killing it. It is um, kind of a competitor to Linktree, in my opinion. I just think Beacons looks a lot nicer. Um, we have a Linktree for this Beacon startups, and I'll let you know once I can convince everybody that we can, you know, switch on over. Um, are you allowed to say what any of your investments have been so far?
3: Um, probably. Probably not right now. Uh, Super excited could, to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, we, we were very excited about the the, the quarter two investments. Um, it was kind of a rush launch. We were planning on launching the fund uh, for quarter three, which was July first. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but but there were two companies that popped up that we were just really excited about, and so we we just said you know we need to just launch it now in May um, mm-hmm. so we can get allocation to both these companies. Yeah. So and I- probably later on down the road we can share.
4: How are people pitching to you guys? Is this something that like you, just because you're creators, like you already have a presence. So you're getting a lot of inbound or are you having to do outbound?
3: Um, it's it's a lot of inbound. Um, so we have uh, a decent creator network. And so we see a lot of companies just coming in, uh, actually uh, trying to to run ads. And so for example, we've, really? we've seen companies where you know they want to sponsor us and we uh, say, okay, actually you want to hop on a meeting because we'd love to get on the cap table. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one that's worked pretty well. Uh, and then Sebastian also has uh, a company called Subscribe that helps creators get equity. And so there's mm-hmm. a lot of inflow actually from from that company. Um, and he's super well connected. He's out, out in SF. And so um, deal flow hasn't really seemed to be much of a problem uh, for yeah. us.
4: The reason I ask that is Jason and Molly have their own personal brands, personal presence on the Internet. Um, one of the reasons why we push out so much content at This Week in Startups is because this is how we get deal flow. If people don't know about us, people won't reach out to us. It helps a ton. Um, the fact that Jason and Molly are doing, you know, their own thing uh, in terms of having a personal brand and are doing stuff on the Internet. Do you have advice for any other people that are trying to build their personal brand in like a professional way? Like what what do you think that first step looks like?
3: Um, my, my suggestion would be don't try to monetize too early. So I've never focused on monetization on, on my stuff. Like I don't sell online courses I don't have any products. Um, I really just make videos and make some money off of ad revenue and some affiliate stuff. Um, and I think not monetizing too early. That's what Graham Stefan did as well. And I think that's why he grew so well. I see a lot of people stunt their growth because they have 50 followers and they, they're just trying to like sell something all the time. Um, and I think it's, it's really important to really build some rapport with your followers by just going like playing the long game, kind of like taking that Gary V approach of just always having free stuff. And then eventually like you'll start making money just sort of as like a like a byproduct of of getting attention.
4: Yeah. I saw this, uh I forget who where I saw this advice, but it was definitely from another YouTube channel where they were saying like almost all of your content should be free um because they know how much of a value add there there is. And then that like little top portion, like that little special extra sauce should be the thing that people pay for. So I always think that's that's really interesting, especially in like the day and age where so many people have things like Patreon, um, really like that mindset and why why was like now a good time to have roadrunner vc like come to fruition like you're you're killing it on youtube you've said before in videos that like you plan on on like just like slowly stop making videos as frequently why was like roadrunner vc like the next step for you um, obviously i don't think you're It doesn't look like you're stopping youtube anytime soon but why why is roadrunner vc like your next venture
3: yeah um i think youtube is it's fun, uh, but it's, it's sort of, I kind of view it as a stepping stone. Um, I think it's just really exciting to, to, I, I mean, I could sit and, and get pitched on a dozen companies a day for the next 10 years. And I, I think I would thoroughly enjoy it. Just sort of seeing these new ideas and concepts. Um, and I, I really like to, to think a lot. Um, uh, and so this is just something that feels right up my alley. Um, and I, I love sort of working on asset allocation and investing. And, uh, and so, uh, with, with YouTube, honestly, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's boring, but we we sort of have streamlined it with all of our channels, and we have a setup, so it's it's pumping cash. Um, but we've said, all right, we're not starting any more channels. We have ten, and we like I don't want to start ten more. And have are you talking about channels. you and your
4: brother right now, or are you and? Yeah.
3: Uh, uh, me and and my brother, yeah. Got so you, he's like the operator on all of that.
4: Yeah, and he, he has his own. I've seen some of his content too as well. Um, he does tech reviews, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So sometimes. Very cool. So sometimes, like people will DM me and they're like like with random videos that one of us is in, and like <laughs> what? what's this web development video or something? That we're yeah, in. it's just funny. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's awesome. So you've grown like a ton of different channels. Like, what has been the thing that has helped the most in making channels grow?
3: Um, in making channels grow, we we really focus on search, so we treat everything like um, like a blog essentially. So most people on YouTube, I'd say ninety-five to ninety-nine percent. Try to make viral videos like Mr. Beast, mm-hmm. um, which is great, but we don't really start with views. We sort of start with search and then gotcha. um, potential revenue from that search. So we look at who's running ads. We look at uh, what the ad rates are in specific niches and then we target those because I think you can sometimes make a lot more money from 50,000 views on a very specific video than you could with 5 million views on a on a general video.
4: Totally. That definitely makes sense. And it's, it's been really, really cool watching your content, especially about finance kind of progress. Like you said, I was watching your stuff. I think you were wearing like Robin Hood socks back in the day. Um Jason is actually, he talks about this a lot. Jason um, was an investor into Robin Hood, pretty famously into Robinhood, Uber, Com. So really cool to see you wearing those Robin Hood socks and now moving over completely to Roadrunner VC after watching like your finance content for so long and seeing how long you've just been passionate about it. And you say in all your YouTube videos, you can't give financial advice to all your, all your comments and things like that. Um, You, you won't also Nate will never sell you crypto. That seems to be a really big thing with you. A lot of people scamming, like doing crypto scams with you. Um, There's there's so much scammy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're the best example of somebody that should be verified on every platform that has ever existed because of how many fake accounts I've seen for you. Do you think that's just because you're in like the finance space? Like what's up with that?
3: Uh, yeah, it's especially finance, but there are uh, essentially uh, multi-billion dollar scam operations That's going crazy. on right now. And, and the platforms either don't care enough or actually just can't do anything about it. But if, so most of the comments on my videos are, are fake and they're like the really heck? elaborate now. Um, and it's, it's just, there's so many of them that, that you can't, like, you can't stop them because they pop up everywhere. Um, and, and you can't filter them out and YouTube doesn't really do anything about it. I, I know Twitter has this problem. Instagram has a problem as well, um, but it's really getting out of control. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've, I won't ever sell you anything. Yeah. I'm not going to be re- probably not going to reach out and ask you for crypto or
4: something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The bot situation over on Twitter has been absolutely I, I'm helping run Twitter. If anybody wants to join the Twitter community for this week in startups, please do. Um, but we obviously have some bot issues as well that we're seeing on our end, which really, really sucks. And some of the other financial, um, YouTube videos that I've been watching have been talking about how we've, how people, especially young people or people that did not live through 2008 or other things happening in the market, um, like what they're doing right now. Some people are choosing to double down and invest. And we've talked about that a lot in the show, whereas other people are choosing to be a little bit more conservative right now. Um, as a young person who is really interested in the investing space, um, where do you think like the right way to go is?
3: Okay, so obviously this is not financial advice, but um, I have a honestly pretty simple strategy. Uh, really, I I'm inclined to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing at go any ahead. given moment. So so last year we were in an obvious bubble. Uh, I went pretty heavy risk off, and it's why I love Twitter too because you can like you can like date all these things and and you can like you know go back and, and look in history. And so in December January I went like full risk off because I was worried. And everybody was full risk on, right? Everybody was like buying Dogecoin and all these like meme stocks and everything. Um, And so that was very worrisome for me. And so I went risk off Um, and I went into inflation plays. And then, yeah, so really just doing the opposite of what other people do or just looking in places that nobody else is looking at. Like last year, everybody was so excited about EV that it was obviously overvalued. Now that EV's down, I'm starting to look at EV because nobody's okay. looking at it now because everybody's looking at oil now. So I'm exiting out of oil and getting an EV probably. Yeah, We'll see. Yeah. Just and- in general. Yeah.
4: Where do you think, um, where do you find most of the information that like influences your investing outside um, of startups and VC?
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't like to read blog posts or something, uh, not to take shots at uh, like other financial YouTubers or Motley Fool or something like that. But, uh, you know, th- like if you're seeing or if you're taking advice from people uh, to buy or sell stocks, it's probably you're probably going to get burned. Um, like I said, there's a lot of scammy, like YouTube finance people. Um, and so that's why I never tell people to like buy or sell stocks. Um, I get most of my stuff, honestly, from, uh, a site called Finviz, which is, um, it's, it's just like a stock screener. You can mm-hmm. do some really in-depth screening on there. And so you can see, for example, you can set things like, uh, like, like earnings growth and you can look at their, their stuff like just set so many different, uh, uh, metrics on there that, uh, that's sort of how I sort through. And I'll create like a thesis and I'll, I'll say, okay, I want to find companies that are down 50%, but their earnings are still growing right now, uh, year to date, something along those lines. And then kind of just sort through that.
4: How long have you been investing?
3: Um, so yeah, kind of going back to like how I was sort of interested in business from a pretty young age. Uh, I got lucky that I just, I had hit that wave very early and I was a weird kid. So, um, over, over a decade now, yeah. Wow. Like I started seventh grade. (laughs)
4: Were your, were your parents like really into it or was this something that like you found all by yourself?
3: Yeah, um, well, we had a seventh grade project in like home ec, we had to learn about the stock market. And so um, my parents, you know, they have a 401k or an IRA or something, but uh, they didn't really like, I tried to get some information from them and uh, luckily we have the internet. So uh, that's that's where I got everything from, just Google, you know, yeah. and uh, self-taught.
4: I feel extremely, extremely privileged that I had a parent that was like financially literate And did not know until much later in life how important it is to have a financially literate parent. So um, right now, thank you, dad, for teaching me how the stock market works. I feel like being introduced to that at such an early age and just knowing that things like taxes and the stock market exist or just having that in vocabulary um, really does make a difference uh, later on. And like you said, like living now in the age of having almost too much information Really, really, really helps when you're passionate or interested about something as a kid. So if anybody's here interested in finance, I obviously highly recommend these videos because those are some of the ones where when I was doubling down and learning more about personal finance in college are ones that I checked out. Um, like you said, he gave, he gave you guys the name of where he likes to look at other places. Do you see Roadrunner Ventures ever making like content for itself? Like maybe talking a little bit about like, do you ever see yourself making videos about what you look for in founders or anything like that? Or do you think you're going to try to keep like the Nate O'Brien brand separate from VC?
3: Um, I'm probably going to keep the Nate O'Brien brand separate from VC just because I've always tried to keep my personal brand very uh, just sort of what I want to talk about. And so that's why I also don't monetize it too much. Um, I see a lot of influencers who kind of get trapped in it and they have to make videos to pay their bills. Um, So I kind of want to keep Roadrunner for the most part separate. Um, we've, we've talked about maybe launching a podcast and bringing on some, some guests just to kind of, uh, stir things up a bit, but Heck uh, yeah,
4: that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very pro. I know you had a podcast for a little bit. You got to get back into the podcasting game.
3: Yeah, I know. I know. I just need to find a producer for it. So right? if anyone oh. out there, if anyone out there wants to, yeah,
4: anybody else looking, um, well, you create a lot of your YouTube videos I've noticed are evergreen too, which I really, really like, uh, how has being a YouTuber and doing content creation, Helped you become a good investor.
3: Um, I would say uh, you you just so I would say the best thing that it's helped me with is actually connections and just getting into deals. For example, because maybe you don't have to introduce yourself to as many people. Like we've invested into some companies that uh, like uh, very early stage companies where the founder was like watched my videos years ago, and so they they already had some maybe respect for me or something, and so it's easier to slide in to the deals. So that's yeah. probably how it's helped me most.
4: Oh, okay. That's interesting. And what is it like working with somebody that also has an experience, um, as a creator?
3: Uh, are you talking about Sebastian? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, really, really happy that I partnered with him. Um, so he, he had a company that he sold to a firm back in 2015. So he's, um, been in the tech world for a while. And so, uh, he's, he's super logic based and his his wife, Mandy's super logic based as well. And so I think we just mesh really, really well, um, overall. And, uh, I also like that there's sort of an age difference there as well. They're a bit older than me. Um, And so we kind of have different perspectives um, and like different networks. And so it's just a great sort of relationship. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I actually, I didn't start checking out his videos until you guys like officially launched Roadrunner. So it's been really, really cool seeing um, the differences between you guys, not only in like content creation, but just the different kind of like energy you bring um, to the table. Obviously, like you said, having the difference in age, um, And people that that watch your videos. It's just really interesting right? seeing how you guys are navigating. And I think I'm, I'm going to be pumped when you guys finally release some of the uh, companies that you invested in. It's going to be really interesting.
3: Yeah, likewise. Awesome.
4: And if you can, where can people find you if they want to pitch you guys a startup?
3: You can always slide into my Instagram DMs. It's just Nate O'Brien with one extra N on the end. And same for Twitter as well. I'm su- suddenly a big fan of Twitter. I love yeah, the book. Like, it's just so fun. Yeah. Well, I I never used to be into Twitter. and I just started tweeting things like in the past year. It's, oh, you got to stir so up fun. drama.
4: I love it. I know. Stir up drama. I just did that
3: with Coinbase. Yeah. Oh,
4: really? What did you say? Anything
3: good? I said, oh, yeah, it was, it, it was a bit of fear mongering, but it, it like blew up. Like, yeah.
4: Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, you're out here. You're you're out here putting fear. When I go and I check check how they're doing, are they gonna are they gonna look like they're on a roller coaster? Are you yeah. impacting the market now with your tweets? Well, that's awesome. Like he said, Nate O'Brien, with two ends for Twitter and for his Instagram slide into his DMs, and then for YouTube, you're just Nate O'Brien, right? Yep. Cool. And then does for for Runner have any place where they can go check out you guys?
3: Um, we we have a fund page, um, but it's it's kind of hidden. So okay. Um, but, uh, roadrunner.vc is a site it's, it's not fully built out. We just kind of, uh, yeah, but you should be able to find it on there.
4: Awesome. That's really, really cool. Again, super excited to see what you guys are up to. And thank you so much for joining. I'm definitely going to have to have you on again another time.
3: Anytime. Yeah. I always love
4: going on here. So awesome. Thanks, Nate. All right. Thanks for listening,
1: everybody. And make sure you tune in for an amazing Sunday show when we're going to talk about diligence this uh, week, folks. It's like a really big topic and Molly's having to deal with that because climate yeah. startups are very technical.
0: Very technical. We're just going to mm. dive into research on research and uh, an awesome This Week in Climate Startups interview, of course.
1: All right. Follow us on Twitter at Jason at Molly at TWI Startups and leave a five star review on Apple or Spotify if you're so inclined. Bye Have a great weekend. See you Sunday. See you Sunday.